Welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast with your hosts Meredith Bond and Prue Warren, where they discuss every aspect of a writer's life, from the craft of writing and editing, through publishing and marketing, and finally into building a global publishing empire. Here is Mary and Prue. Welcome to the Writer's Block Party podcast. I'm Prue Warren. And I'm Meredith Bond. I play the role of the fool seeking information. And Mary? I play the role of the fool giving information. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the the idiot who thinks that they know what they're talking about. (laughs) I think think I'll be the idiot and you be the savant. And, and, And we'll work it all out. Okay, on today's podcast we're doing the second half of self-editing and Mary you were going through last week when we finished you'd gone about halfway through a PowerPoint that you had but I wish that you would do a quick summary of the first half of it so that when you get to the new stuff I can continue taking notes on what I'm supposed to be doing. Absolutely good deal all right so um, we started off with uh, the different types of editing Developmental, copy editing, and proofreading. And then we got into talking about not skipping the parts, not writing the parts that readers will skip. And thinking about that. Don't, if if the reader will skip it, don't write it. I've been thinking about that all week since you told me that last week. And and it's going to change the way I present things. I think that's brilliant. Sorry, I know it's a simple concept, but I really dig it. Here, I I did not talk about, one thing I did not talk about last week was hooks, mm-hmm. um, which is, of course, the concept that when you fart, your book begins, it's got to really hook that reader, right? Nobody is going to read a book that they don't care about. Right, that's Nobody's true. going to read a book where they could don't know who the characters are and don't care about them. So really it is so vitally important. And I'm talking about this with another coaching client of mine, the importance of grabbing your reader by their eyeballs and (laughs) gluing them to the page and forcing them to read on. Okay. It's a really graphic image that I'm painting for you there, but that's the importance of, but I also think it, that ties in with don't write what the writer, what the reader's not going to read. So if you wanted to write this really long-winded introduction, write it and then cut it when you get to the good part. Write it to satisfy yourself and then just cut it and save it in a file for some other time. Yeah. And just start with the really good, meaty, heavy stuff. Ex- absolutely. And start with really making your reader care about who these characters are and what they're going through. So, yeah, absolutely. All right. And then, of course, there is conflict, which I don't remember if we talked about this last week or not. I, I don't, don't, did. I don't, I don't think, think we that did. we did. But, of course, with when you're starting off the book, frequently we start with conflict. Because that really gets the, the reader involved right away. Something important is happening, some action or some argument or some, some conflict. Right. The 
trick, of course, is not to have too little conflict in your story because then it'll be boring. Mm-hmm. And not to have too much conflict in your story because then you will overwhelm the reader so that they just can't deal with it and they'll have to put the book down just to get a break from all of the conflict. Mm-hmm. So really, you need to find that Goldilocks amount of conflict. <laughs> I like the concept. <laughs> this porridge is just right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not too hot and not too cold. So, well, but you know, if you, I know, I know, we want to move ahead, but go back yeah. to conflict just for a second because one of the things that I was having problems with with that book that you just read, which is not the rom coms I'm writing, but I had a regular contemporary romance where my character was almost unlikable in the beginning and i had to go back and make her likable so you uh, this concept of conflict or even character development it's hard to start someone out on a voyage of of transformation right she's she's horrible in the beginning of the book by the end oh she's learned to love she's learned to trust she's learned whatever it is she has to learn she still has to be likable enough so that people will keep reading, so they don't just put the book aside. So that Goldilocks concept, that's harder to do than it is to say. Absolutely. I could not agree with you more. And it is so easy to get wrapped up in making your character so flawed because you know that they're going to be redeemed at the end Mm -hmm. that they end up being unlikable. Right. Right. Assume that's the same with conflict itself. Yeah. You can't you can't have it be so horrible that someone says, I'm reading this book just for fun. I'm out. I don't want to wade through this. Right. All right. We are not writing literature where <laughs> thank God. <laughs> not, it's never gonna be an Oprah Book Club pick. Not sad enough. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, let's think about this because um, we might want to cover this topic in the future, that of character development. And today I actually have a piece of paper and I'm gonna write it down. Um, I will. Because um, I think character development is so important and can be really tricky. Okay, all right. Well, let's definitely, uh, let's put that in our in our rotation. Yeah. Put it in the sc- yeah, and if anybody out there has specific questions about character development and, and character arcs and so on, shoot them to us because we absolutely want to hear from you and, and know what problems you're having with character development. I, I like that theory. There are three people in this podcast. There's me, there's Mary, and there's you, listener. Only you. It's just the three of them. Ask your question. <laughs> Oh, how I wish we were talking to millions and millions. Never mind. Moving okay, on. Okay, here we are character. <laughs> okay, and, here, and then we get to characters, where we talked about actually goal motivation and conflict, making sure that you know what your character needs, why they need it, and what's stopping them from getting it. Right. Okay. Um, and then we moved on to, did we, talk, we talked about dialogue That's, and the yes. importance of reading it out loud. And using action tags versus dialogue tags. Go ahead. What did you say, Pro? Right. Well, so you read it out loud to make sure it sounds like something someone would actually say out loud. It's Absolutely. hard when you're when you're writing to forget it's not board of directors language and you don't 
you don't want to use that kind of language. It may be technically correct, but it's never going to sound right once you read it out loud. Absolutely. hundred um, percent. And we talked about point of view, the different types of point of view. Yep. And we talked about setting, making it evocative and not thorough yep. to let the reader develop their own movie to play in their head. Right. Theater of the mind. Yep. Absolutely. And I'm not sure that we talked about the story question. We didn't. Let's talk about that. Okay. The story question is um, the the question posed at the very beginning of your story that is going to pull your reader through the entire book to get them the answer. Obviously, with something like a mystery, the story question is almost always who done it. Right. But there's probably also a secondary story question, not just who, but why and how it affects others. And, and so you can delve into that if you're a mystery writer. Um, for romance writers like us, um, the story question is not just, will they get together at the end? It's got to be so much more than that. Why do we, they get together? What mm-hmm. is it that pulls them together that makes them unable to live without each other? Mm-hmm. Um, I like those, those broader questions, story question, because if you say to me, what's the story question of your book? I have a little panic attack and go, I don't know. I don't have a story question, but, but when you think about it in terms of a romance, the goal is not just the happily ever after, but the path you take to get to the happily ever after. And if that's the story question, then I'm there. Then I feel much more confident about what my story question is. Right. Um, and it, the story question can also have to do with your character's internal conflict. And probably should. Yes, and right. should. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that's her evolution or his evolution. Exactly. Right. Okay. Okay. So that is the story question and you should know what it is. Okay. <laughs> okay. Just saying. Okay. <laughs> um, of course, then we uh, talked about story structure, the inciting mm-hmm. event, first turning point, no point, point of no return, the black moment, climax resolution. Yep. Um, we talked very briefly about the hero's journey. And scenes, we talked more extensively about scenes because you are dealing with really interested in getting deep and down into those. Yep. And we talked about pacing those scenes and whether you need a sequel or not. Right. Just explain quickly that a sequel is not the next book in the series. No, sorry. Sequel is the next scene after Mm -hmm. something particularly momentous happens. But it's called a sequel and not the next scene because it's not, it doesn't necessarily hit the same beats as a classic scene, but it's a necessary uh, annex to the scene that went by. Exactly. So it could be shorter. A sequel could be shorter and probably is maybe a little shorter than a scene. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, And we talked about show and tell. Right. Um, we did not talk about theme. Yes. Theme is as challenging to me as story question. So lay it on me, girl. Go ahead. Okay. 
So the funny thing about theme is that we're not always conscious of it. <laughs> also. <laughs> I mean, some people definitely are. Some people have a specific message that they want to get across in their book. They, they have something that they want to teach or, or a concept that they want people mm -hmm. to come away with. I wrote three or four books before I even realized what my theme was for all of my books. And mm -hmm. all of my books, almost all of them, have exactly the same theme. It's one... <laughs> No, it's true. It, it's one that's deep to me. It's, it's something important to me. Um, and it's, my theme is almost always a fish out of water. Uh-huh. Okay. So almost always do my, is one character in my book, you, one of the main characters, either the hero or the heroine, doesn't belong. They are somebody who, for whatever reason, feels apart from society. Right, that's the novel. And that's the novel. But it's the not novel. necessarily the whole point of the novel. Well, but by the end of the novel, if your theme is fish out of water, by the end of the novel, then your resolution is now the fish has made the pond his home. Exactly. Or her. Right. Now they feel right. Well, I'm just thinking that you can have, like, I have two themes. I'm thinking of Sin and the Peanut Butter Cup, which will be published soon. Mm -hmm. Sin's theme is self-confidence. She needs self-confidence. But Reese's theme is being true to himself. So those are two different themes in the same novel. So are you cool with the major, major characters having different themes? Yes, they can have, they, that's, that's more their goals. The theme is actually something that you have, you, the author. So one big concept. Okay. And how about making people laugh? Would that be a good concept? <laughs> theme? It is, but there's more to do it to it than that. <laughs> All right. Well, you've read Sin in the Peanut Butter Cup. What's my theme? I don't mean to put you on the spot. But. <laughs> yeah, you've totally put me on the spot. I know. I'm sorry. We'll and I, I, I also have your, your, I have your other book in my head, City Muse. Right. So the theme of, I Sin think that the theme of Sin and the Peanut Butter Cup has more to do with the important, importance of who you're with, of remembering of because well I don't want to give the story away for our listeners because they're going to have to read it but remembering is a big part of sin because yes. one of the characters has memory problems right 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 that's right but remembering even though it will help her and everybody else, therefore everybody else in the book, she doesn't feel that this is something important. Right. If she I like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. This is hard on you too for this. And I'm delighted. Because <laughs> it makes me feel less like I've missed something entirely. 
Yeah, no, theme can be really hard to uncover because you really have to dig deep down into the underlying message of the book, right? Well, that's assuming that you wrote an underlying message of the book. Everybody does, but you don't realize it or not. Well, you know, my my thought is that I read romances because I want an escape and something fun and entertaining. I don't necessarily say I need a book with great emotional heft. I just want to have a giggle and a sexy scene. And, you know, I'm like, theme. This That's a big word. That's a big, heavy word in my nice, fluffy story. I write nice, fluffy stories, too. Um, <laughs> although there is always angst in them because I like writing angst. Um, <laughs> but there is always, always the underlying theme. There is always something else there. Now, if you ask me what the theme was for my Ladies Wagering Wisp books, I couldn't tell you. I have okay. to think more deeply about them. But for most of my other books, it's definitely fish out of water. All right. All right. I'm going to think I'm going to keep it in mind. I'm going to keep theme in mind as I progress, but I'm not going to belabor it because I think a good story unspools on its own. If it's good, it's good. Yes. And, and if I can't identify a theme, I'm not going to be. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Good. It's not something to, to get. Okay. Good. Okay. Um. So to one way to uh, easily identify all of these things that we're talking about, the emotion of a scene, dialogue, how much internalization you have versus external dialogue, how much tension or conflict is in a scene, how much description is in a scene. One way to do that is through highlighting and literally taking, you know, printing out your book and taking out those pretty highlighters that we all love to buy and never know what to do with. I have thousands of them. I know, I do too. Um, Print out your book and actually, or print out a few chapters of your book and actually highlight it. And you will be amazed at what you see beyond, if you have a page that has almost no color on it, you're missing a lot. Okay, but you have things on here that are confusing. Like your suggestion in your PowerPoint slide is you do emotion in a nice hot pink. And I have a beautiful hot pink highlighter. I'd love to do it. But emotion comes through in dialogue. Emotion comes through in internalization. It emotion does. comes through in tension and conflict. So, and so how you- I will highlight and I will underline. So I will have two colors on the same line of text. I see, I see, I see. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So right. I highlight emotion in pink and I highlight dialogue in blue. I highlight internalization in yellow and conflict. It doesn't show up on my slide, but conflict is always that electric orange. <laughs> and description, of course, is green for the grass. Oh, that's nice. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to do this and see how my, how my, chapter how much color there is yeah do um you you should can also underline nonverbal communication okay and for people who write paranormal or fantasy you might want to highlight magic in purple just to see how much magic is there Mm -hmm. you can 
If you can identify where the deep POV is, highlight that in another color because then you can really see how much you're using there. How much is but, there? But that's but underlining a different color because, of course, that comes in deep POV comes in in so many different places. So yeah. I can see what you're I can see what you're saying here. Because I'm working so hard on DPOV. Right. So hard. It's so hard for me. And those uh, lovely, sweet, romantic motions can get emotion can get uh, their own color as well, if you want. All right. All right. Okay, I'm going to give it a try. Yeah. Um, another alternative, and or in addition, um, when I'm editing my own work, I will sometimes create a scene table where I just very, very briefly list the whose point of view the scene is in, a very brief description of what happens in the scene. And then I have columns for all of the things that I need to make sure are there. For me, I never write description. I, I mean, I have learned to do so more in my first drafts, but rarely. And so I need to make sure that my description is there. And so I have a little column to take off whether the description is there. I have a column to take off whether there's conflict or tension. Another one for five senses, because that's super important that that's there. And you are literally just saying, yes, it's present. No, it's not. Exactly. You're not saying, "Here's here are the phrases. No, I'm not. It, that's... That takes too much work. I'm just okay. saying, yes, no. All right. And so whatever you know you need to work on, you can yep. fill in for your table. Make sure, just to go through quickly, just to make sure that those things that you know you need to have in there are actually there. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. Okay, I can do that. Yeah. Okay, now we're going to get into the fun copy editing. <laughs> so there are words that are called garbage words. And basically, as Mark Twain said, if you substitute damn, every time you're inclined to write one of these garbage words, his was very, your editor will delete it and the writing will be just as it should be. <laughs> Thank you, Mark Twain. <laughs> yes. Now read out that list. Okay, so the list... My number one garbage word is the word that. I have gone through my manuscript and deleted literally thousands of instances of the word that. And then my editor goes through and deletes even more. Right. <laughs> right. It's just my it, two that are absolutely unbelievable for me are just and like. Uh-huh. Just hundreds of them. Hundreds of them. Yep. Okay. Finally. So the List. Is, finally, is, is just totally not necessary. Suddenly, also, not necessary. Sometimes necessary. Sometimes, but more often but, than not. If you can take it out, it would be better. Exactly. Right. Um, barely, very, just, and then. You should never start a sentence with and then. <laughs> <laughs> That's just lazy. Damn right. <laughs> That's just lazy. So get rid of those garbage words as you're going through and editing your book. 
Similarly, filter words. Those are words that filter a scene through somebody's eyes. So either they saw, John saw Mary pick up the pencil. Don't say that. Just say Mary picked up the pencil. Mm-hmm. He heard, felt, thought, watched, looking. They looked. It's That's along the same lines as saw, but these filter words are just completely unnecessary. I'm going to read you my filter words. Mine are longer than yours. Okay. Like, like, look, see, think, thought, felt, feel, found, saw, seemed, as if, small, find, heard, a bit, and noticed. And every time I have those words in my copy is an opportunity for me to go from shallow POV to deep POV. Every Mm -hmm. single time I find one of those words, it's a chance for me to strengthen the writing. Very nice. So those filter words, now I'm beginning to understand that that's an opportunity. When I use those words, it's an opportunity to make the writing richer. Excellent. Brilliant. Pretty good. (laughs) That's an excellent list. Really, you should put that up in the show notes. Okay, show notes, my list. I'll make a note. Yeah, because you've got a great list. <laughs> you can you can you can count on an amateur writer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Of course, you want to avoid as many cliches as possible. My heart pounded. My blood raced. All that. So. And then, of course, my favorite, I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror. Yes. <laughs> yes. Was that attractive girl in the mirror there? What mirror or where? Who could that attractive girl be? <laughs> <laughs> so avoid those cliches, please, people. Right. And then we're going to get into proofreading, which is super fun because that's, yes, everybody's favorite, grammar. Uh, you've just given me comments on city muse and i have some need of a proofreader clearly clearly i know very entertaining yes okay commas everybody despises commas because nobody can decide where they belong oh dear commas separate out something that adds information to a sentence The example is Bill Gates, comma, CEO of Microsoft, comma, is a very wealthy man. And then there is the making a list, comma, which um, has inspired people literally to blows over what is called the Oxford comma. My father called it the Harvard comma. I'm with you. (laughs) He was very opinionated. I am pro Oxford comma myself. Me too. The Oxford comma. All of discernment and taste are pro-Oxford comma. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you don't know what an Oxford comma is, it is putting the comma before the last and in a list. It makes it clear that this is a list and that these things are part of the list. The example I have is from the Times newspaper talking about Peter Ustinov. a Peter Ustinov documentary, saying that, quote, highlights of his global tour include encounters with Nelson Mandela, 
an 800-year-old demigod, and a dildo collector. Now, without the correct commas, that says that Nelson Mandela is an 800-year-old demigod and dildo collector. (laughs) (laughs) What the person writing the sentence actually meant, that Ustinov had encounters with Nelson Mandela, comma, an 800-year-old demigod, comma, and a dildo collector. Period. (laughs) Different people. Right. Right. (laughs) That comma before the and is just a habit you have to get into. It's just that. Exactly. But there are people, though, Mary, there are people who don't like that comma. And if they make that conscious choice, then nobody is going to, well, we'll laugh at them. But it's not technically wrong, but they just have to be consistent. You can't sometimes put the comma before the and and sometimes not put the comma before the and. Absolutely. Make up your mind. Yes. And make sure that your sentence is clear if you don't put in the comma. Right. Right. About the comma? Hmm? More about the comma? Yes. There's even more about commas. Commas separate adjectives. Her long comma flowing dress caught my attention. They separate out independent clauses joined joined by a conjunction. Ryan went to the beach yesterday, comma, but he forgot his sunscreen. You know to put the comma in there because the first part of that sentence could be a sentence of its own. And you're just connecting it. You're connecting two sent two complete sentences with a conjunction, but. Okay. Um, also, you need a comma after an introductory phrase where you want the reader to pause. As always, <gasps> I checked to make sure the stove was off before leaving the house. That's that breath comma. Um, And around a witch clause, she took a taxi comma, which cost her way more than she expected. And also, wherever you want the reader to take a breath, throw in a comma. (laughs) So you're comma happy. I am sure comma happy. All right. And then there's, we get into the passive voice. Passive voice is so much fun. I love writing in the passive voice. And you shouldn't. You need to write in the active voice. A passive voice, passive voice is when the actor of in the sentence, the committer of the action, isn't in the subject, but the object position in the subject, in the sentence, where the object of the action should be. So you're aware now that our one listener has nodded off uh, at the laundry wheel. That's like, you're what? Do an example instead. Yes. Um, An example, I can read the one that's uh, on my slide, which is the sentence was written by the boy, by the, the sentence was written in the active voice by the boy. Which is passive voice. Which is passive voice. The writer was pelted by tomatoes. Here's my favorite passive voice. This was an example that I heard at the uh, Romance Writers of America conference, the last one, where one of the speakers, I don't remember who, said the greatest example of passive voice was a government document that would say mistakes were made. Right. There's no apology in that. There's just an acknowledgement that mistakes were made. It wasn't, we made mistakes. That's active voice. Exactly. Mistakes were made. That's passive and used very consciously. 
Yes. So that's what I think the difference is between passive voice and active voice. We made mistakes, active. Mistakes were made, passive. Right. The point of using passive voice if in something like that is that you're not assigning blame. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You're simply acknowledging. It's clever. So all, people always say, don't ever write in the passive voice. But in reality, the passive voice can be a weapon in your arsenal. You can Absolutely. be purpose as long as you understand the difference between active and passive. Yes. If you have $10 on your bureau and it disappears, but you don't really want to accuse anybody of having stolen your money, you can say $10 was removed from my dresser top. As opposed to you took $10. As opposed to standing up and say, je accuse, right? Right, right. So, okay. Passive voice. Passive voice. So we want to avoid it as much as possible, but yes, absolutely. Sometimes it's not a bad idea. Right. Okay. Um, and of course, every, every author should know not to overuse adverbs, she said quietly. <laughs> see, I don't see anything wrong with she said quietly. Yeah, but how quietly is quietly? But I think that's contextual. It could be. Everybody else is screaming and shouting. And she says, quietly, I was the one who did it. Well, her silence, her, I think, I don't see, I don't have a problem with that. I think this, I must be in the novice position here because I don't think she said quietly is so bad. I think it's not so bad. I think you just have to not use it constantly. And there are some beginning authors who do, who Every single piece of dialogue has an adverb at the end of it. I see. Okay. 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 And instead of saying, she said quietly, you could say, she whispered. Or she said under her breath. Or okay, but she said just loud enough for the person next to her to hear. <laughs> okay. All right. I get you. I get you. So you can be a little bit more creative with it. Um, well, I'm going to skip through punctuation because it's really a visual thing. And most of us know where to put punctuation within quotation marks. And if anybody from Britain or Australia is listening, you put them outside of the quotation marks, um, and which just annoys everybody. Oh, wow. And... Uh, <laughs> And of course, then there are the silly mixed up words that we all mess up putting an apostrophe in it's when there shouldn't be and there, 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 and you're and you're with an apostrophe, all of these things. These are sort of beginning stuff. But I do think if you have problems with there, 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 and it's, it's a proofreader is your friend. Maybe, Absolutely. Maybe it shouldn't stop you from writing your glorious story because you don't know there and there. Right. You can get a proofreader. Yes. And that's what a proofreader does. Yay. And can I do my fun sentences? Absolutely. Do it. Dangling modifiers. Turning a corner, a huge office building appeared. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Upon entering the doctor's office, a skeleton caught my attention. Can you just see the, the skeleton hand waving to you? Absolutely. Hey, hey, over here. 
<laughs> and of course, there's the misplaced modifier. Thank you. Uh, yesterday, I shot an elephant in my pajamas. How he got into my pajamas, I'll never know. <laughs> you could do a better grouch. Yesterday, an elephant in my pajamas. How he got in my pajamas, I'll never know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and garden path sentences. They lead you down one way and then make a sharp turn and you don't know where they've gone. <laughs> the cotton clothing is usually made of grows in Mississippi. Nice, nice phrase. That is totally messed up. What? The cotton clothing is usually made of grows in Mississippi. That's terrible. And That's of, terrible. Of course, the old man, the boat. <laughs> That's not a garden path sentence. That's just missing a verb. No, no, it's not. The old man, the boat. <laughs> man is the verb. The old and yes. the boat. Yes. Oh, that's a, that's an impressive sentence. Isn't that a All great right. one? Yep. The young the young go off the young go off carousing, but the old man the boat. <laughs> All right. All right. That's powerful. And the the author one. wrote the novel was likely to be a bestseller. Not that author. <laughs> Not going to be but a bestseller. In that case, one of your filter words or garbage words was that. But all you have to say is the author wrote that the novel was likely to be a bestseller, and that sentence becomes normal again. Yes, that is. Ah, uh, <laughs> you've been foxed. <laughs> uh, I drops off shelf. <laughs> this these are newspaper headlines. Yes, I. Drops off shelf. Oh, eye drops. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> shelf. Okay. <laughs> stolen painting found by tree. Either the tree found the stolen painting, or the stolen painting was found next to the tree. It was that it was that tree detective we've heard so much about? Right. <laughs> so there are lots of these, and uh, there are lots of. I have lots of Bible quotes that are <laughs> that just don't work. The word yes, of the Lord came to Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Edo, the prophet. Who's the prophet? Now, which one is the prophet? Which one is the prophet? <laughs> the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Edo, comma, the prophet. So was Zechariah the prophet or was it? Well, we know it wasn't Berechiah. No, it's These either Zechariah or Edo. I don't know enough of the Bible. Those names are very cool. I'm going to name a cat, Barakiah. <laughs> Great name. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert the highway for our God. Or, this because of the Messiah. If you uh, take out the comma, <laughs> Voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, comma, and change the place of it. So if you if you move the comma, yeah, you can have the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Or if you move the comma, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Ah. Where are you preparing for the Lord? Either in the wilderness, or the cry oh. is in the wilderness. Right, 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 right. Uh, comfort ye my people, which means please go out and comfort my people. Or comfort ye, comma, my people. Cheer up. <laughs> 
I hope on the next slide you're going to do, oh, we like sheep. Part of the Messiah is the song, oh, we, comma, like sheep have gone astray. Oh. But, but, but when you're singing it, what you sing is, oh, we like sheep. We <laughs> like sheep. Over and over again, we like sheep. We like sheep. There's a comma in there. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. <laughs> but they don't sing it. <laughs> you're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. <laughs> oh dear. Um, Leonora walked on her head a little higher than usual. <laughs> oh, you need the comma. Leonora walked on her head a little higher than usual. Exactly. Ah. And the convict said the judge is mad. Who's mad? Is it the convict or the judge? The convict said the judge is mad. Depending on where you put the comma, the convict said, comma, the judge is mad. Or, or convict. The convict, comma, said the judge is mad, comma. Right. Nice. Nice. These are very entertaining. And of course, then there's let's eat grandma. Let's eat grandma. <laughs> Don't shoot dad until I say so. <laughs> Patricide. Or Rachel Ray loves cooking her family and her dog. <laughs> She's very versatile. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a good book about this that's called Eats, Shoots, and Leaves. Yes, I love that book. Right. Of the panda. What does he eat? He eats shoots and leaves. Yes. Or the panda eats, shoots, and leaves. Exactly. Punctuation skills. That's very funny. All right. Okay. So that is the PowerPoint. A journey into self-editing. There's a lot there. There You're is. Gonna, are you going to post this PowerPoint in the show notes, or are we just going to throw caution to the wind and hope people take notes? No, I think I am. I have posted it to last week's power. Okay. Uh, last week's podcast and I can put it in this week's as well. Okay. Good. All right. Um I've forgotten what next week is. Do you have your schedule handy? What are we doing next week? Oh, what a brilliant question. Quick, let's banter idly while someone looks it up. <laughs> I'm looking it up. I'm looking it up. Hang on. <laughs> banter, 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 banter. Since you have your computer way out, your monitor way up overhead, you're literally looking it up. You look like you're looking up to the corner. Marketing. Marketing budgets. Oh, I want to know what you think about a marketing budget. Um, How much should I expect to pay? Oh, Mary, I have questions for you. All right. Well, I'll hold them or I'll, I'll, I'll condense them and gather them up. So next week, marketing. This week, self-editing. Um, and the one listener who's listening, we hope that you have enjoyed the podcast and that you will leave us a good rating or a review. And really that you'll ask a question because there are only three of us here. It's just the three of us. doesn't matter how many people are listening. It's just you, Mary, and me. We can have a little convo. Come on, chat us up. Um, thank you, Mary. I think we're done for this podcast. Yes? Yes, we are. Thank you so much, Prue. I love that. I love your comments and, and how you add to this. It's really wonderful. Thanks. It's lucky you don't mind. All right. Then we'll see our beloved listener next week. All right. Bye, Mary. 
Bye. That's it for the Writer's Block Party this week. We don't want you getting so drunk on knowledge that you can't drive your laptop safely. But next week we'll be here before you know it, so check out the website at thewritersblockpartypodcast.com. One word. That's where you can find our archive of past podcasts and a place where you can get in touch with Mary and Prue or ask questions for the next podcast. Write with joy, friends, and see you next week. (laughs) 